G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the round 15 preview edition. This podcast, as always, proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. We're back to the full menu of nine games this week, the buy rounds. Done and dusted, but uh, no more certainty, unfortunately, in terms of fixturing COVID continuing to wreak its havoc uh, across the world and still here in Australia too. Nasty flare-up going on in New South Wales. So our thoughts with everyone there and still some major impositions on crowds and fixturing in Victoria as well, which we'll come to shortly. But uh, first, let me introduce my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Yes, I'm well. And if anybody, oh, hopefully everybody, heard my rant on uh, the Sunday night, they'll know I'm happy that we're back to nine games. So looking forward to it. Well, there's some big games among them. Uh, it's taken a while to lock everything in, but... Uh, We'll get there eventually. As we record this, we'll bring you the latest information we have at our disposal. Who knows where things will be by the time we actually kick off, but hopefully uh, we've got things better down for this week at least. We've got some wonderful sponsors we need to thank, Finey. Uh, I'd like you to kick us off. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. We sing their praises. We wax lyrical. But the main thing is that we eat royally. Hamburgers that have been rated the number one in Australia for, well, as long as I've been around. And of course, they've been doing it for much, much longer. A famous burger place. And I'd almost call it, yes, an institution in Melbourne. An institution of fine burger eating. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I want to thank both the Gregs there. They are mighty, mighty burger men. And speaking of mighty men, Nick Spartels and the team at West Point Properties in the southeastern Melbourne for renovations, new home builds, able to turn the smallest of footprints in some of those small blocks in inner southeastern Melbourne's into palaces, West Point properties. And for the best stats in the business, your partner is Stats Insider, a proud partner of Footyology. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's European Championships Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for its full-season projections, which now have Geelong as premiership favourites. 
and whom win the flag in 19.9% of our simulations. Stats Insider, also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing. In fact, I did a column for them this week. You can have a read of about Geelong's home ground advantage. Everything free to use on the site. So check them out, statsinsider.com.au. And give them a follow while you're at it on Twitter, at Stats Insider. There's our plugs done. We have got a whole lot to talk about. Plenty of news, plenty of previews, plenty of nostalgia as well. So let's start. On Footyology, News Feed. News, news, news. All the news fit for our audience. And uh, unfortunately, we have to start with a very familiar theme, and that is the imposition of COVID on the competition, um, particularly in terms of scheduling, but also uh, longer-term ramifications in terms of cost. How much, you ask? Well, this might give you an indicator story in the age um, over the last couple of days that just the recent rescheduling in Victoria and uh, moving of games away from Victoria that has come at a cost of no less than $15 million. And that revolves around uh, flights, accommodation, uh, costs of quarantine. Of course, we had round 11 played in front of no crowds. That $15 million incidentally doesn't take into account the monies lost by clubs from gates, etc. So round 11, we had games in Victoria, but in front of no crowds. Rounds 12 and 13 played interstate. So uh, that's come at about $5 million a pop over the last three weeks. And that uh, really gives you an idea, doesn't it, Finey, of um, just how costly, literally, this pandemic has been. Yeah, you wonder what the ultimate price that will be paid is going to be. And I'm not talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about in terms of the clubs and whilst their futures have been guaranteed and have long been guaranteed by the AFL, what an AFL club will look like. List sizes, off-field, salary cap, the soft cap, as we call it, ongoing expenses being able to be met by football clubs and the wages that can be earned by AFL footballers. Ultimately, all of these must be impacted, Rowan. Yeah, and I think uh, one of <clears throat> one of the most dramatic ramifications is Gil McLaughlin was talking about this, um, the exacerbating of the gap between the rich and poor clubs. And he says that that is due to clubs having to cut costs savagely. So that has opened uh, the door for a bit more profit to come the way of those clubs uh, with bigger memberships, bigger support bases. And... Well, given that we've had a, a socialist competition of sorts for uh, about 35 years now and it's worked very well, that would be something they would be very, very concerned about. The practical ramifications, well, they are manifold and there's a lot this week. So let's start with uh, the games that have been moved. So GWS Hawthorne originally scheduled for Giant Stadium. Of course, this flare-up in Sydney has meant that that game has been transferred to Hawthorne's home ground of the MCG, still in the same time slot, Sunday afternoon. But um, 
kudos to the AFL for being very proactive on this because they got uh, word of events unfolding in Sydney, managed to get both Sydney and GWS on planes out of Sydney on Tuesday evening, and that saw them just beating the declaration of red zones by Victorian health authorities as of 1am Wednesday morning. So they just beat the uh, the get-out stakes. And um, Sydney here, then going to Adelaide. Now, their game against Port Adelaide, scheduled for Saturday night, that could still move to a twilight game on Saturday. There is already, of course, a twilight game scheduled for Saturday. That is Collingwood and Fremantle at Marvel. That may move to a Saturday afternoon game. Um, I think that's about the sum total of it. I may have actually missed something there, but, geez, it's hard to get your head around it all and keep abreast of all the latest, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The one, as you say, key element is, at the moment, Sydney is the locale under threat. So to be able to get both teams out of there and into Melbourne means that we've got sort of, as we sit here, nine games guaranteed this weekend and a full fixture impossible moving forward. Just makes you wonder how many players, of course, Sydney and GWS take with them because they don't just need a full squad capable of playing a week of football. They need a squad capable of playing potentially two or three weeks of football. So how many Sydney players, NGWS players boarded the plane? That'd be interesting to know, but you'd think they'd have to take around 28 players, wouldn't you? Well, that's a very good point. I think uh, there's every chance GWS will be staying down here, down here being Melbourne for a week because they are scheduled to play in Melbourne uh, at the MCG in round 16. And as to the Swans, well, yeah, it might be a bit more problematic for them. They have a home game scheduled against West Coast. Uh, the other factor here, of course, in Melbourne is crowd sizes. And this was only arrived at uh, late yesterday, but crowd capacity at the MCG will be, um, I think, 25%. That's right, isn't it? So Essendon Melbourne uh, capacity or crowd cap of 25,000, um, which is a shame because potentially that is a game that could have, well, who knows, attracted 60, 70,000. It's an Essendon home game. Marvel Stadium, uh, of course, uh, is entitled to 50%, so 25,000 cap on those games as well. But just having a look at the game scheduled, uh, you've got Richmond, St Kilda, Essendon, Melbourne, GWS, Hawthorne at the MCG. You've got Collingwood, Fremantle, Carlton, Adelaide at Marvel. Of those five games, it's clearly Essendon that is going to take the biggest financial hit fighting. I'd say that crowd um, absolutely guaranteed to be no more than 50% of what it could have been and perhaps even 33% of what it could have been. I reckon they could have got 70 almost for that game. That would have been an absolute... Well, it is a blockbuster game, but it would have been a huge crowd. I, I agree. 70,000 plus. That, that game would have been, in terms of a crowd, promoted heavily and anything north of 70,000 was possible. It, just on a couple of uh, factors, when they do allow the crowd in... 
you'd imagine they'd be seated more sensibly than they were down at GMHBA Stadium last week, surely, where the 7,000 that were allowed in were all corralled into positions on the wing, made light of the fact that the reason that we've got lesser crowds is so that we can have social distancing. Hopefully that 25,000 at the G and particularly at Marvel Stadium will be spread around the ground. Well, and just I'm, on that, I, I don't know about that because I, I did hear yesterday, um, I did speak to someone who had spoken to MCG officials and they were saying that cost is a huge factor there and that's that's why um, they were likely to be in sections again. I did also, and look, I, I've got to admit, I'm not right up on this, but I did begin to hear a bit of an explanation from uh, someone in this field about why at uh, Geelong last Friday night they were all cramped in and there was some sort of health explanation. I'm, I can't tell you what it was because I couldn't understand half of what they were saying, but there was some explanation as to why that is the case. Seems to run completely contrary to social distancing, so I don't get it. If anyone gets it, let us know. Yeah, that's and also I am tipping that next week's all-important Sydney versus West Coast game will be at Adelaide Oval. That's my early call on that. Well, it's probably a safe call, isn't it? Because uh, things have certainly, uh, I wouldn't say got out of control, but things have certainly ramped up in Sydney pretty quickly. So, And in major suburban areas too. So they've obviously got to be very, very careful with that. All right, we don't want to make this a COVID special again, so let's move on. Uh, another interesting story during the week, we saw Joel Selwood uh, fined on two separate charges by the tribunal over actions in the Geelong Western Bulldogs game. There was a uh, $1,000 fine for a punch to the head of Bailey Dale and a $2,000 fine for stomping on the leg of Taylor Duray. Now, Selwood, uh, he's already a player who seems to polarise people. Uh, he certainly cops a lot of flack about ducking his head for free kicks, etc., etc., and copped a bit of flack over those two incidents. His coach, Chris Scott, not for the first time, went in to passionately defend his charges and talked about the slur on his reputation and that uh, he wanted to protect that reputation. And when Selwood said that the stomp on Duray was an accident, that uh, we should take him at his word. I've got to say, Fanny, after having watched them again, I couldn't even recall the Duray one when it happened. I remembered the Bailey Dale one. I thought, yeah, that's, that's a cheap shot and that's ordinary. But I've got to be honest, when I saw the Duray one, I actually looked at it and thought, yeah, that does seem like a, an accident to me. I'm sort of surprised he got fined twice as much for that one as the other one. No, I didn't think it was an accident. Okay. Um, I didn't think it was overly malicious, but I don't think I think you'd know where you're standing and you can take a duty of care and you can you can be Mumford-esque in the way you go about your football. Is that the expression you use when you're if not clumsy, then certainly not um, necessarily all that invested in caring about the well-being of the, your opponent in the immediate vicinity. Well, is a stomp on the leg worth double the fine of a punch to the head? Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, 
I don't like it being described as a stomp. He sort of stepped on his leg. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So why um, $2,000? Was it because they were concurrent incidents? I don't know. I don't like the fact that players can be recidivists and just keep getting fines. Uh, that is the one part of the tribunal that doesn't sit well with me because, of course, we know in the past the player would have been spoken to by the tribunal chief at an appearance and anybody who was a regular sort of um, appearer at the tribunal, as I say, with a recidivist record, would have been told in no uncertain terms, next time you come back here, it'll be weeks, not dollars. But this system just allows people to turnstile their way through the tribunal writing checks which for them are for the equivalent for, you know, pocket money. So I don't like the fact that you can just keep getting fined. Where where do you think Joel Selwood's reputation is at? Is it in is his legacy in danger of being damaged by this sort of stuff? No, not at all. When we look back at a player's career, I've got to say, unless it is a Barry Hall type incident, which is so out of kilter with what we consider acceptable in terms of how you play the game. And Barry will always have to wear the staker incident and some other moments in his career. But players that have played it hard, even the likes of a Mumford, I think Mumford will be remembered mainly as a player, a three club player who got a late start to his career ended up being, a, a, you know, a tour de force for Sydney Swans and carried on as a powerhouse. And as far as Joel Selwood's concerned, his legacy surely is his uh, incredible ability to be a contact player over such a sustained period with, uh, you know, it's a, a glittering record of leadership at Geelong during, if not their finest period in terms of premiership, then in terms of win-loss. And about the ducking, you know, it, to me, it's such, a, it's such a fan's argument on a Monday morning. Like, really, they're the rules. The umpires are there to govern the rules. In fact, in recent years, he's probably been harshly done by very few times do I look at an incident instantly when Joel Selwood gets a free kick and think that he doesn't deserve it. So I think once the games are over and you look back at the career, it's simply a glittering career of hard-nosed football by an absolute champion. Now, I was trying to think of a, um, a parallel in terms of a player and the, the one who most immediately comes to mind for me is Luke Hodge. And, uh, you know, similarly courageous, similarly physical players. And like Joel Selwood, Hodgie had his share of, uh, and perhaps not to the same extent, but he did have his share of little, uh, uh, I don't know, tater tates or whatever you'd call them, little cheeky swipes at people over the journey. And his reputation certainly emerged fully intact. I'm sure there's a whole lot of Hawthorne supporters now going, what? Hodge and Selwood, but that's got as much to do with the feeling between those two clubs. So, look, he's been a fantastic player, fantastic captain too. And um, in terms of courage, certainly leading the game in my time watching it for amount of um, 
head bandages applied to his noggin over the gene. Oh, no, no, I don't think so, Robin. Why? Who do you think's up above that? Ben McAvoy? Yeah, the guy who puts it on before the game. Yeah, well, that doesn't as, count. As I, the guy who takes it as a uh, precautionary measure. But yeah. just on Joel Selwood, uh, how anybody could consider him to be a player who has played outside the rules of the game. Yeah, there might be an incident or two, but how many whacks has he received that he just shakes off, you know, sort of clears his head and gets going again? No, no baying to the umpire, no crying, no no laying down for Joel Selwood. He has copped the rounds of the kitchen and done so with great courage. Well, he's copped his uh, share of uh, injuries, if you like, or head knocks uh, at the uh, at the minimum. That is a segue to our final news item this week, and it's a very interesting exercise. The AFL website, um, well, didn't stumble onto. They were giving this information, uh, but we talk about injuries being a big factor in football. There's absolutely no question they are. And often when a side underperforms, you can sheet it back, the blame back home to the number of good players in the medical room. So uh, it's worth having a look at the AFL website. And there's a table of uh, total games lost through injury throughout the list. Injuries with cost, which is a categorisation of the quality of players uh, lost um, and the, the number of games lost by quality players. And then final uh, column is injury cost, where champion data have actually put a numerical value to the absence of particular players. So in terms of individual players, they have ranked, champion data has ranked uh, this season's most costly injuries. Number one is Luke Shuey. Um to West Coast. In fact, West Coast have two of the top three. The other one, of course, to them, Elliot Yo. Uh, so when West Coast fans talk about them being crippled by injuries, they've got a fair point. Uh, I was a bit surprised by number two in terms of cost. Um, that was nominated as being Dylan Scheel of Essendon, which is sort of funny because I think Essendon have ended up missing him a lot less than they figured they might. And that's no disrespect intended, but it's sort of in some ways helped them unearth um, an even more powerful midfield. So that's an interesting one. Number four on the list was James Sicily at Hawthorne, understandably. And number five, uh, Matt Crouch at Adelaide, certainly leaving their midfield down to the bare bones. Now, in terms of teams, because this is where it gets really interesting, um, I'm going to ask you, Fanny, who do you think, in terms of total games loss, across the list, who do you think would be the most injured club in the AFL? Um, oh, gee. I think West Coast are up there. I think St Kilda are up there. By the way, I, I, this list confirms to me the scepticism with which I hold statistics. And I'm not having to go champion data because they are the home of most statistics, but I'd take a lot of it with an absolute grain of salt, Rowan, I've got to say. Um, well, not this stat, because the, um, it's there no, in well, black I've, and white. how they rate them. How on earth Rowan Marshall can't be in that list is mind-boggling. Well, that's a good um, point. He is such an important player. <laughs> I'll give you an idea how important he is. 
He's played two full games for St Kilda and they've won them. Yeah, you know, no, 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 fair point. Let's get back I, to the clubs, though. Yeah, I think they've been heavily impacted. West Coast and Kilda, Fremantle earlier on in the year. Um, you know what? North Melbourne, when you consider Luke McDonald, Tarrant, Aiden Core, I think North Melbourne have also suffered. Which You've got to give them a bit of credit, given how they're playing at present. Well, bingo. Because they are, in fact, the number one club, and I would never have, um, I wouldn't have tipped that. Uh, so there you go, North. A total of 137 games lost. Fremantle number two, and Ken number... Anderson in that list as well just returns. Yeah, I'm not surprised North is up there. Number three, GWS. Oh. Uh, number four, yes, of course, Carlton. Number no. five, Gold Coast. Number six, Essendon. Number seven, equal seventh, St Kilda, West Coast, Adelaide. So we'll, we'll leave that there. So that's in terms of total games lost. But here's where the interesting part, because it's who the injuries are to as much as how many you get and how many games. So, so West Coast ranked only equal seventh in terms of number of games lost. But in terms of uh, costliness of the injuries, Champion Data has them at number one. Makes sense, doesn't it, when you think of Shuey, uh, Yo, um, who else has missed some games there? McGovern, um, Kennedy's missed one here or there, Ryan, um, Hutchings, another one. There's a few, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So I'm not surprised they're top. I would have thought St Kilda's absolutely equal to that. And this, Listen this, Rowan Marshall... Hanbury hasn't played a game. Zach Jones has missed most of the season. Ben Patton hasn't played a single game this year. Geary has missed most of the season. Even Paddy Ryder missed the opening month of football. Yeah, and Gresham has missed virtually the entire season as well. Well, St Kilda come in at number four. So uh, I'll read down the ladder for you. This is how they're ranked. West Coast, number one, Fremantle. North Melbourne at number three, St Kilda at four, GWS, Hawthorne, Collingwood, Richmond, Essendon, Western Bulldogs, Adelaide, Gold Coast. So Gold Coast had plenty of injuries, but not necessarily to pivotal players. Sydney, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, Geelong, Carlton, Melbourne. So Melbourne coming in, the uh, well, their injuries have had the least cost to them. Uh, in terms of purely number of games lost, they came in at 13th. So uh, is it any surprise they are on top of the ladder? Uh, it's not often when a side has a good season, they don't have some good fortune on the injury front. Anyway, look, it's a very interesting exercise and well worth having a look at. That is on the AFL Website. I reckon that's enough news, Finey. I reckon with the full menu back to preview, it's time we got stuck into it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 15 kicks off at the Gabba on Thursday evening. We're back to Thursday night football. And this game put back by 10 minutes, originally scheduled for 7.20, now 7.30. I'm not sure what that was about, to be honest. Maybe 
someone uh, was arriving late from an appointment, a VIP that had to be looked after. Anyway, it is going to be a corker of a contest between Brisbane and Geelong, a uh, rematch of last year's preliminary final. And uh, what are the odds makers telling us? Well, Palmerbet, our great sponsors here at Footyology. In fact, uh, if you want to check out their odds on round 15, head to their app or the website at palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly, of course. The head-to-heads, Palmerbet have Brisbane as the favourite, paying $1.68. Geelong is at $2.20. Got to say, I found that quite surprising. Uh, given Geelong's form and their record against the Lions, which I'll get to shortly. What a stats insider think about this game? Well, understandably, we talk a lot about this Geelong forward line, which is fueled by such a brilliant midfield. Yet the Cats' defence often goes unheralded, not by us. They're allowing the second least amount of inside 50s this season, are allowing the third least goals once inside 50 and the fifth least marks taken by opponents therein. It'll be fascinating to see how their backline holds up against the Lions, who are the league's third most damaging attack, and who are converting 24.8% of their inside 50s into goals, which is the AFL's fourth best number. Uh, What about the ins and outs, Fine, Anything major happening with either club there? Yes, and that might tell the tale as to why there is what you consider a surprising imbalance in the odds because whilst Brisbane welcomed back Captain Dane Zorko from a one-game suspension, Reese Matheson, the obvious casualty in terms of selection there, Geelong, we know, lose Mitch Duncan, an important cog in that midfield and such a wonderful player over a long period. And you know what? It is testimony to the... Phoenix not Phoenix like return to prominence of Lockie Henderson. That even though it's not like for like, be sure Lockie Henderson, a late withdrawal against the Bulldogs, will be back in that lineup. Yeah, it's a great effort by Henderson, who many would have thought almost had seen his career slip away. And he was returned to the rookie list. But no, he is a vital part of that team. Brian Myers knocks on the door for a spot in the team, but he might have to call his jets. As Sean Higgins, the unused sub last week, surely holds that spot. Maybe some massaging there. What a great game to start the round. Thursday night football. I think most people enjoy it, and they certainly enjoy it when it's a mouth-watering clash like this. Now, we know... The Brisbane fell short in the finals against the Cats last season and they addressed it by getting straight after Joe Danaher. Now, I'm not saying that Danaher has been the panacea that they necessarily were after in terms of goals scored, but structurally, I think he is a great pickup and he just adds that extra layer of concern. And we must say that the Cats, as good as their backline is, they do sometimes get stretched for height. It means that Blitzavs has to play back more than they probably like. Asava Radagalia goes well in the ruck, but not brilliantly, and I think McInerney has first call there. And that might be an important tell. I think the midfields balance out nicely. The forward lines are both lethal. It should be a great game of football, but I just feel as though Brisbane 
at home, possibly with a real advantage in the ruck, can win this game, will win this game. I have them to the good by seven points. All right. Well, we uh, both tipped the same teams last week. That is not going to be the case this week. I'm going for the Cats. Duncan obviously is a huge loss, but I reckon their mid, I reckon their midfield uh, bats a bit deeper than it did even last year. I, I like the way the likes of Parfit and Narkel are stepping up, giving them a bit more run outside. I think Isaac Smith getting better and better with each game he's playing for them. In fact, last week might have been close to his best for them. So it's a better balanced midfield now, and I reckon they can cover Duncan. Uh, better than they would have even last year. The defence, well, you heard the stats inside of numbers. They are terrific. And we've talked a lot this year about that more explosive forward setup with Hawkins, Cameron, and a far more consistent Gary Rowan. That uh, sounds like a winning blend to me. The other big factor here for me, and you know I'm big on this stuff, but it's their record against Brisbane and their record at this ground. They have won 11 of the last 12 clashes against Brisbane. And the one defeat was by a solitary point. Uh, that game where Lincoln McCarthy took that big hanger at the finish. And they're pretty handy at the Gabba as well. They've won eight of their last 10 games there, of course. Last time they played there, they tasted defeat in last year's grand final. I wonder if that'll reawaken a few demons for them. But they are a great side at the top of their game at the moment. That was a really good win last week over Western Bulldogs, who are also playing great footy not to be dismissed just because it was at home. I think they're good enough to win this. I think they're on a real roll at the moment, the Cats. I think it'll be tight, but I'm going for Geelong by six points. That is Thursday evening footy back to uh, the satisfaction of a lot of people. And that, of course, still leaves us with Friday night. Let's have a chat about that. Friday evening, 7.50 p.m., Richmond takes on St Kilda. Don't forget, of course, Footyology Final Siren coming to you after the game, live on Twitter and Facebook to uh, break down the game uh, and take your questions and comments on it. The Palmer Bet odds for this game, or Palmer Bet has the Tigers, understandably, a very warm favourite, paying just $1.18 head-to-head, and St Kilda, a far more generous $4.90. Stats Insider say the Saints rarely play at the MCG these days, and when they do, it often doesn't end well. They've lost six of their last eight games at the venue, and they'll start this game as the round's biggest underdogs. One positive for them is they become the first team this season to record 100 tackles in their heartbreaking loss against the Crows up in Cairns. The Tigers are 39-6 against bottom eight opposition since their 2017 transformation. So uh, like Port Adelaide, another side good at this, Richmond are very, very good at dispatching of inferior opposition. Uh, Do the Saints have anyone coming back that might make that opposition slightly less inferior, finally? They certainly do but they face a Richmond at full strength because Prestia and Asprey are both expected to be available. Hang on, Tom Lynch is still out. Well, apart from Tom Lynch, but haven't they done well with his replacement in the big hyphenated Ruckman, Coleman Jones? I mean, you can't 
say that they've lost too much down forward when he's down there. Hasn't he been impressive? So they have Prestier and Asprey back, but there's a bit of a squeeze go on there for. Might put a bit of pressure on Caddy. And Marlon Pickett actually played in the VFL last week. Maybe a pointer to the fact that he won't hold his spot in the team. Touch and go there. Also, Rioli could come under pressure. St Kilda certainly will have a better look with Membry and Ross back in the team. And we know that that, that their absence has played out controversially in the media. More importantly than them even, the return of Rowan Marshall into the side. Welcome return. So young Ruckman or budding Ruckman, Paul Hunter, will make way. Of course, no Hunter Clark for the rest of the season is a major loss. And Jack Loney was disappointing in the loss against the Crows and his profligate nature in front of goals may have been the difference had he been a little bit more accurate between winning and losing. Unfortunately, it'll be more of that for St Kilda this weekend. I remember this corresponding game earlier in the year after St Kilda had a very good win against the West Coast Eagles, their best win of the season, had this little black duck thinking maybe St Kilda had turned a corner and I was optimistic about the game against Richmond and to be honest, that really was die cast as to how far away St Kilda is from the pointy end of the ladder. Richmond were brilliant that night. They controlled the ball, they controlled the territory, they controlled every element of the game and I see no reason at their home ground why it be why it won't be more pain and more of the same against St Kilda. That fully loaded Richmond lineup, as we said, without Tom Lynch, but with Rewalt in sparkling form, really going into the bye, it just offers too many problems for St Kilda. Martin goes forward. What do they do? Cross your fingers and pray. Richmond for mine by thirty-seven. Yeah, well, you mentioned that earlier meeting. That was the first thing that came to my mind, and it was an absolute smashing, wasn't it? 86 points. Uh, Tigers ended up kicking 20 goals, 14 that evening. They just absolutely smashed the Saints. I don't know if the margin will be quite that big this time, but I think it'll be substantial enough. Look, Richmond lost last start, uh, but it was a pretty epic loss against West Coast, and they did only lose the lead in the, uh, the last minute or so of play. Uh, that was a pretty reasonable performance. The thing that has really stuck in my mind, perhaps not surprisingly, is that devastating last quarter burst against Essendon the week before that. Seven goals in 16 minutes that evening, and they just absolutely unleashed, just clicked into a higher gear. And it's a gear I'm not sure. I reckon, in fact, about the only team capable of matching that, and even that's rarely, would be Geelong. They just played at a super extraordinary level in that last quarter. I think you're going to see those bursts more and more frequently over the remaining rounds as we lead up to finals. And as you touched on, that catalogue of injured players return to the fray. They get Lynch back now and that just about, oh no, Nankervis as well. But those two back uh, and the full complements just about there and you're looking at a completely different Richmond lineup than we saw uh, sort of limp through the early proceedings and hardly limping either. I mean, 7-6, it's the same position. 
they were in uh, in 2019, and we all know how that ended up. So I reckon they're going to make pretty short work of your Saints, I'm afraid, finding. I'm not going for an 86-point margin, but I am going for a 32-point margin, doing it on the bit, the Tigers. All right, that's Thursday night and Friday night. Let's talk about the entirety of Saturday. All right, let's not sugarcoat it. Saturday kicks off with uh, hardly the game of the round. It is between 16th and 18th on the AFL ladder. It is in Hobart, Blundstone Arena, 1.45pm, North Melbourne, their third uh, Blundstone Arena game in a row against uh, what has to be said is, at the moment, a pretty hapless Gold Coast. And that's where the interest lies, isn't it? Can the Roos get their second win of the season? Have to be a pretty decent chance to do that, you think, given how insipid Gold Coast, Gold Coast was last week against Port Adelaide on a beautiful day at home, managing just four goals. What a Palmer bet say about this one? Well... There you go. North Melbourne are favourites head-to-head, paying $1.76 the Roos. Gold Coast paying $2.08. Stats Insider say the Suns have actually won six of their last seven games against bottom four teams and four of their last six games overall against North Melbourne. This game pits the league's two least prolific teams against each other as well as its two lowest-scoring outfits. If this does turn into a slog, what happens in the clinches might well determine the result. The Roos have won the contested footy count in just one of their 13 games so far, while the Suns have saluted on that count five times. So there are the pivotal stats. What about the pivotal selection possibilities, Finey? Well, if you are umming and ahhing about this game, I think I can just about put it to bed because Gold Coast miss. Two key players, David Swallow came off with concussion and can't be considered, so he's out. And Lockie Weller did a hamstring last week and he's out. I don't think that they are in any position to cover those losses. Fiorini and Ainsworth, two classic sort of uh, revolving door type players in and out of the team putting their hand up, and maybe Darcy McPherson as well. Sam Collins, who was a late withdrawal last week, also cannot be considered. That's a big out. As for North Melbourne, betting news, they're fairly stable at the moment. Uh, Zeri, the only player ever with a name beginning with X, came into the side for Tom Campbell, and Tom Campbell might be able to jostle that spot off him as he has recovered from an ankle injury. I think there's your only change. I've got no problems tipping North Melbourne in this one. First of all, they go well down in Tassie. We know that. Secondly, Gold Coast Suns, if they didn't lose you in the game against Fremantle over in the West, they certainly lost you in the game against Port Adelaide back at home. Really, again, playing the sort of mid to late season football that has us worried about their relevance as a football team. Not good enough. They kicked the first goal and were two goals at three-quarter time in perfect conditions. That is the sort of firepower that any team can counter. North Melbourne's form, as we say, at Blundstone Arena is better than anywhere else. Look, it's an easy call for me. 
North Melbourne clearly by 24 points. In fact, that's an even number. I'll have to go 25. Yeah, easy call for me as well. Uh, because I think the Roos have been overall, given what, where they're at and what they're trying to do, I think they've been pretty solid for a good six weeks. I think going right back to that win against Hawthorne, which was, what, round nine, they got blown away the next week. But since then, certainly, they uh, were competitive in the loss to St Kilda. They drew with the Giants and really competitive last week. Uh, against Brisbane. They play this venue particularly well. I think it's becoming almost a, as good, if not better, home advantage for them than their uh, Tasmanian um, stable mates, if you like, in the Hawks at Launceston. So that's an advantage for them. And, yeah, look, that Gold Coast performance, uh, it's easy to pile on. I mean, certainly been a pile on of sorts going on at the expense of the Suns this week. But they really did stick it up. And uh, even worse, arguably, the previous week, albeit in Perth, a game Fremantle had about half a side in and they weren't competitive in that either. So they've been appalling. And you just really worry that the bottom is falling out of things and that's going to increase pressure on the entire future of the operation, let alone the current coach and the current playing group. So there's high, high stakes at the moment. And they simply have to be firing a bit more of a shot than they have the last fortnight. I think North absolutely deserve favouritism, playing the better footy, and uh, they're at home. I reckon all adds up to North's second win of the season. Uh, probably won't be by a heap, but I'm confident enough to give them a margin of 20 points. So there you go. The Roos go into a game favourite, and we're both selecting them. Uh, then we have the game, well, currently scheduled for Twilight, which is back in Melbourne. Let's have a chat about that. Marvel Stadium, this game scheduled for 4.35pm Saturday afternoon. May yet be a Saturday afternoon game, but we know the teams at least. That is Collingwood, who are taking on Fremantle. Notable, of course, for it being... Robert Harvey's first game in charge of the Magpies, of course, taking over from the departed Nathan Buckley. Uh, Palmerbet, what do they say about this? Well, the Pies will go into this game favourite. Their form's been very good in the last couple of weeks. Of course, knocking off Melbourne in that Queen's birthday Monday game, they will start a $1.70 favourite on the head-to-head odds Fremantle paying $2.17. Stats Insider tell us the Dockers have gone 8-8 in their last 16 games, while under Justin Longmuir, they've done a pretty good job beating the teams they're supposed to, going 8-4 against bottom eight teams under his watch last year and this year. Interestingly, the Dockers are one of just six clubs in the league with a positive clearance and inside 50 differential this season so far with the other five teams in that position firmly in the finals picture. Credit also to Collingwood coming off its biggest win of the season, knocking over Melbourne, producing a massive 18 marks inside 50 in the process. The most Melbourne had conceded in terms of opposition marks inside 50 prior to that was just 12. So Collingwood able to rarely get a hold of that Melbourne defence, which has been outstanding much of the year. In fact, ranked, I think, one of the best-performed defences 
of the modern era. That's how well the Demons are going this year. So credit to the Pies for knocking him over. Fremantle certainly don't have a lot of faith uh, in them when they get on an aeroplane. So how will they go this time? Do they have any more cattle with which to work finding? A heck of a lot more cattle. Uh, they will be hard to look beyond, given their ins, I've got to say. Cabinet, Fife, Logue, Nathan Wilson, all come into the team. And the outs are telling because they probably are the bottom end of the side that really struggled in their last game. Weston, Crowden, Bewley, Conker. As for Collingwood, well, they do welcome back Grundy, which is important. Adams has to pass a fitness test, but they lose Darcy Moore for the season, and they also cannot call on Jordan Degoe. They're big outs potentially begins for Collingwood as well. Well, Robert Harvey taking over the reins at Collingwood. And well done, Banger, of course. An absolute icon at the St Kilda Football Club. But so long as he's been at Collingwood, he really is a Collingwood man now with a short window to do the unlikely, and that is hold on to the coaching spot for a permanent gig next year. I think they'd have to make the finals almost for him to do it. As you pointed out, in the unusual position of taking over from a coach who has steered his team to good victories in their last two games. And that win up at the SCG against Melbourne, that was just brilliant. Back down to the MCG against a much better looking Frio side. And I just feel as though Collingwood, a team with a lot of purpose, even with the change of coach, might be hard to hold out against, as you point out, a side that travels about as well as a, transplant, as a transplanted kidney. Frio read well, but why can't they put it together on the road? It's something that's had more than us two, people with far more investment in the club scratching their heads. Rowan, I have to defer to your scepticism about Fremantle on this one. Collingwood for mine by 21. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you almost swayed me there when you were talking about the ins and outs. Uh, the Pies, certainly some costly injuries there. The venue's an interesting one. Freo haven't played Collingwood at uh, under the roof at Docklands since 2014. Of their um, uh, losses on the road, uh, some of their more narrow losses have been at this venue. In fact, I was just having a look then. They've lost their last seven straight at Marvel Stadium, the Dockers, that stretches back to 2018. But four of those defeats have been by seven points or less. And that includes this year a seven-point loss to Essendon in round nine when uh, they were reasonable. And, uh, gee, the personnel coming back into that side, it is pretty impressive. Gee, it's tempting, but uh, the Pies on form deserve, I think, to get the tip. And uh, also the first-game coach factor. Um, it, it's different this time, given that their form has actually been okay. But generally speaking, I reckon you see a pretty decent performance from a side when a new coach has taken over, regardless of what's gone before. So on that basis alone, I'm going for the Pies. Not by a lot, though. I'm going to tip uh, Collingwood to win this one 
by 16 points and make it three wins in a row, very, very gradually turning their season around. Uh, that brings us to the two evening games on the Saturday. Well, what a game this promises to be. Unfortunate that there won't be 70-odd thousand people there to see it, but we'll take what we can get. It is Essendon playing Melbourne at the MCG, 7.25pm Saturday evening. The Bombers, of course, uh, a good win over Hawthorne down in Launceston. A uh, higher-quality game than some people seem to think, uh, and certainly a thrilling finish. Melbourne. Well, they had a buy to uh, just pep themselves up a little bit after only their second loss of the season the week before in the Queen's Birthday Monday game against Collingwood. Uh, a lot of people looking very interestingly at the betting for this game. Well, Mel- Melbourne is starting a pretty warm favourite with Palmer Bet on the head-to-heads. They are paying $1.26. Essendon, you can get $3.90 on them head-to-head. That might be worth a sneaky $20 or so. Those odds, courtesy of Palmerbet. You can see updates up to uh, start time on the Palmerbet app, up, up at the app. Uh, or you can check them online, palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Of course, that's Insider. They tell us that Melbourne have lost the marks and disposal count in four straight games while they've been out-tackled by 21 over the last three. As Collingwood showed, if you can be patient and chip around and get their defence out of its comfort zone, your team might have a chance. Unfortunately, Essendon ranks ninth in both of these areas. Collingwood was also able to get first use with the Pies knocking the Demons off in the hitouts for the first time this season. Essendon, however, ranks only 15th for hit-out differential and have lost that stat in 11 of 13 games. What about selection, Finey? What's happening there? Well, you could maybe give me a heads-up with Essendon because they've got no pressing injury uh, problems this week. Does Alec Waterman, who missed out with injury last week but is available, force his way into the team? Maybe a Paddy Ambrose? Martin Gleeson is available. They've got a few choices. I guess Ned Kale would be the one under pressure. Do any of those players force their way back in the team, Rowan? Oh, I think Waterman possibly could. Uh, Kale didn't do a heap against the Hawks. But having said that, uh, he's got more league speed than Waterman. Uh, having said that, they can give Waterman a swing through the midfield. And Melbourne do have some particularly strong body midfielders. So... Yeah, I think Waterman actually, on reflection, might come in for Kale. But I don't think there'll be many changes beyond that. No, and Melbourne have uh, one vital change, and that is, with the week off, uh, they're able to welcome back a player who's almost a bit forgotten, Rowan, adding to their midfield strength. Jack Viney is ready to return. Tom Sparrow likely to be the one to miss out there. So that midfield, I think, is where the argument might be settled. As wonderful as Darcy Parrish has been, as brilliant as Jake Stringer was, not only up forward, but also when swung on ball last week against Hawthorne, the reality is that uh, that tight tussle against the Hawks doesn't quite translate to beating Melbourne 
back at the G and Melbourne have had a bit of time to lick their wounds after what would have been an unacceptable loss to the Pies when you're aiming to break a premiership drought that stretches over half a century, you don't go down to teams outside the ace. And you certainly don't go down to them in consecutive matches. And that's where Melbourne's mindset has to be. I'll tell you what, I was impressed by the return of Draper. I'm looking forward to his clash with Max Gorn. That should be an absolute ripper. Melbourne do have one other conundrum, and that is, do they leave Wiedemann in the forward line? They could replace him with Ben Brown, but he hasn't exactly been knocking the door down in the limited opportunities you get in the VFL this season with their sporadic fixturing. Nevertheless, I think they go with Wiedemann, which might be a little bit of an Achilles heel for them. That being said, I think there's enough firepower down there with McDonald in good form, with Pickett ever dangerous. Luke Jackson is another option up forward that seems to kick a goal or two. Melbourne for mine should be a great game by nine points. Yeah, I think it will be a great game and um, a, a great measuring test for the Bombers. And I say, the, uh, both the opponent and the venue are really interesting. Essendon and Melbourne have split their last eight meetings 4-4. And uh, Essendon at the MCG, another interesting one, out of their last 12 appearances at the MCG, they've gone 6-6. Six and six. So 50-50 on both counts. Of course, the Bombers have played at the G only twice this season, which is interesting given it's a home ground. They, of course, beat Collingwood on Anzac Day, lost to Carlton, which seems uh, a bit of a turn-up now, although Carlton did play well that day. That was back in round seven, though. So, haven't graced the MCG for some time. I reckon the bye, you often wonder about teams coming off the bye too, Finey, but I reckon Melbourne's going to be a case of the bye being perfectly timed. I don't think they'll be flat coming out of it. I think they were probably flat going into it. And that, to me, seemed to explain a bit of the uh, loss to Collingwood, which wasn't a huge loss, mind you. I think uh, they'll be pretty refreshed and uh, reinvigorated by having that week off. Simon Goodwin, the coach, of course, knows the Bombers uh, reasonably well or the more senior part of that Bombers lineup. Look, I, like I said, I think that Essendon-Hawthorne game was a pretty decent standard. And uh, I think the Essendon win is worth more than you'd think superficially against the side second last on the ladder. That said, uh, I think this is uh, a great test of its midfield, but in so far as how far it's got to go, they don't have the midfield depth that the Demons do. I think that physical strength's an issue too, which is why I think Waterman comes in. They'll probably need Stringer to play the sort of game he did last week in the centre square as well as close to goal, because strength, physical strength across the board, I think, against the Demons could be an issue. be interesting to see how that forward setup goes against the wily Melbourne defence too. Of course, May Weaver and the rebound of the likes of Christian Salem and Jaden Hunt. I think it's going to be an entertaining game, if nothing else. Both sides are very watchable. Love the way the Demons play this year. And Essendon uh, play some really attractive running footy. They're great value for money in terms of your spectating dollar. So I think it'll be a, a, a cracking game. Uh, I think the Bombers can push them much of the way, but I think Melbourne uh, just at this stage ahead of where Essendon is in terms of development. I'm going for Melbourne to win this one as well. Uh, let's say by 24 points. Uh, so that's one Saturday evening game. Let's talk about the other one. 
Well, this shapes as a pretty appetising Saturday contest as well. Uh, it is scheduled for Saturday night, believe it or not. That time could still change. This could become a twilight game, but uh, check your guides for further details is the advice there. As we record, they're still officially scheduled for 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time, 710 p.m. local time, that meaning Adelaide Oval, Port Adelaide taking on Sydney. So another clash of two top eight teams. Uh, Palmer Bet giving Port the nod here in terms of favouritism. They are paying $1.30 head-to-head. Sydney paying a reasonably generous $3.56. Stats Insider say that since its four-zip start to the season, Sydney is only 4-5 in games subsequent, while Stats Insider's futures model still gives them a 66.8% chance of making the eight. That number suggests they're the most vulnerable among the current top eight teams. In those first four games this season, the Swans averaged 111.5 points per game, yet just 75.1 points per game over the last nine. A problem here for the Swans is that while Port aren't exactly burning up the league this season, their defence has been largely excellent. It's ranked fourth for total points conceded, second for allowing opposition scoring shots once inside 50, and third for total marks therein. Interesting numbers and uh, ones which suggest that this may well be determined by the matchup of Sydney forward setup against the power defence. Uh, anything happening with either of those parts of the ground in terms of the 22 for each side finding? Absolutely. So Port Adelaide, of course, have a big loss with Robbie Gray's injury. So they can expect, or we can expect, a debut by a player drafted, not this year, but last year, Dylan Williams. He kicked six goals in the Sandford last week. And at 186 centimetres, the mid-sized forward seems the ideal replacement for, well, Robbie Gray, who is irreplaceable. In the back line, they've got to replace Jones, who has been a pretty good player this year. He, unfortunately, suffered a hamstring injury. I think Hamish Hartlett could be the obvious player to come in there and expect Todd Marshall to return to the side after 12 days concussion protocol and Laddams likely to miss out. So a couple of forced injuries, replacements there, an opportunity to see Dylan Williams make his debut. Wicks is out suspended for Sydney and Dylan Stevens, who performed well in the VFL, could come under close consideration. What an interesting game it is, Rowan, because Port Adelaide is quickly getting the reputation in 2021 of being masters of those teams below them and unable to necessarily handle the teams above them. So in Sydney, they've got a team level with them or close to level with them on the ladder, an opportunity to take a scalp in the eight and an opportunity I think they will take. I just feel as though Sydney's season is starting to lose the momentum that was so impressive in the early part of this year. We saw them in the first month play scintillating football. And then, more to type, 
grind out some victories. But ultimately, I think that time is sort of catching up with not only Sydney's older players, and I speak of the likes of Buddy Franklin maybe now not being as devastating as he was earlier on in the season, but even the younger players trying to negotiate through the year, Logan McDonald struggling a little bit. And I've got to say that I just think Port Adelaide, back at home, have the opportunity to get the credibility they crave with a decent scalp. Port Adelaide for mine, yeah, I think they can do it fairly comfortably, Rowan, by 27 points. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, uh, a couple of uh, interesting numbers on this one. Sydney's actually got a pretty good record at Adelaide Oval. They've won five and lost three. So they're actually a positive win-loss at this venue. Not so good in recent times against Port. They've last, uh, lost their last four against the Power. Um, you know what? I, I reckon John Longmire's got to throw caution to the winds a bit. I know he's trying to uh, protect the spot in the eight, but Oh, they've just lost their zest, I think. They've gone back to the Swans we're so familiar with and, and they can keep you in a contest to a point. But I just think those kids were so electrifying. They have definitely been very, very cautious in how they've used, say, Braden Campbell, Errol Golden, Chad Warner's another one. I thought Chad Warner was looking terrific for them until he got spelled. So uh, I, I'd like to see them play a few more of those kids. Maybe that's a plan in the run home. Uh, but I'd like to see it now, sooner than later, certainly. I just think the way they're playing at the moment, uh, this one's probably a bridge too far. And yeah, Port, look, um, even this wouldn't necessarily uh, quell the doubters about their capacity against the very best teams, would it? But it's certainly a game they need to win unless those uh, doubts are going to be uh, expressed through a megaphone. So uh, important game for the power to make a statement in and like you, I think they will. Uh, I'm going to go for Port by 22 points in this one. That is the Saturday card. Uh, three games on Sunday. Time to talk about them. First game on Sunday afternoon, originally scheduled for Giant Stadium in Sydney. Of course, COVID uh, putting paid to those plans. So hastily transferred to the MCG where it all of a sudden becomes a home game for the alleged away team. That's handy work if you can get it. GWS taking on Hawthorne. Uh, be interesting to see how this changes perceptions of what may unfold. Uh, it doesn't change Palmer Bet's mind about favouritism. Certainly, GWS, pretty warm favourites in this one, head-to-head, -head, paying $1.28. Hawthorne paying $3.72. Now, uh, the Giants, well, this is a stat that would have been good had they retained their home status. They've won 17 of their last 22 in New South Wales. Uh, in terms of the structure, it's in the middle where the Giants should have the advantage here. They rank sixth in the league for clearance differential. The Hawks, in contrast, are 17th. The Giants seeming to find their groove recently, having won both the clearance and contested possession count in six of their last seven games. That said, I don't think the Hawks were too shabby against the Bombers and uh, with a bit more accuracy, certainly, in front of goal, could have just about won that game. 
have either of these sides got anything to look forward to on the uh, team front, Finey? Well, uh, yeah, I think Hawthorne do. They'll welcome back Warple and Hardigan, both available after suspensions. The mid-season draftee, John Newcomb, he was very quiet against Essendon and he might have to go back to where he caught Hawthorne's attention in the first place, and that is Box Hill. As for Hardigan, uh, who does he come in for? I'll tell you what, Tim O'Brien's a disappointing footballer. If he marked half the balls that he got his hands to, he'd be a pretty decent forward, but he just spills too many marks, doesn't he? Ned Reeves, who made his way, that's the young ruckman for Segler, uh, back in the game against the Sydney Swans, is available again, but we saw Segler and McAvoy used to great effect against the Swans and pretty good also against the Bombers. I think they'll go with the experienced duo, especially given that GWS will slot Shane Mumford back into the side. He uh, gets a game and gets a look in because he's had a week off and he enjoys the break. Briggs likely to miss out. The key watch for them, GWS, are the ankles of Josh Kelly and Bobby Hill. Brent Daniels can come back into the team. He's always a selection. His hamstring seems right. But I've got a name that if Kelly doesn't come up, might come into the side and not a name that too many people will be familiar with. James Peatling, I reckon, could make his debut for the Giants. Do you know who he is, Ron? No, I don't. James Peatling was their mid-season draftee selection. He had 27 touches in the VFL last week. He's a midfielder with a, an ability to win the ball and uh, apparently knocking on the door. So that would be a surprise selection. But keep an eye out for Peatling. I think that this game has gone from can't win to can win for Hawthorne. Will they win? Let's have a look at the two teams and how they line up. I guess the availability of Josh Kelly is almost central to my selection in this one because the midfield is often where the battle is won and we know that Tom Mitchell is in fantastic form. Warple will be a welcome addition, even though he's not the player he was when Mitchell was out of the team. O'Meara plays consistent football. As I pointed out, McAvoy and Segler are forming a good union at the moment. That gives them an opportunity, mm. I think, to get a little bit of first usage. Can the forward line take advantage of it? Well, Kosicki certainly has shown some promise as a key forward. Otherwise, um, look, they certainly don't read as impressive as the forward line of the GWS Giants with Green and Finlayson both in excellent form despite being naughty boys on a regular basis. I'm going to have to go for the Giants. And I'll tell you what, only just, certainly (laughs) the change of venue makes all of the difference. But I think with so much more to play for, Giants still a chance to make the finals. It's them for me by 13. Yeah, I'm, uh, I agree with you on all fronts, uh, tipping the Giants anyway, but uh, certainly pegs my margin back. Just hearing you run through it, I, I think decisive part of the ground might be that GWS forward set up. Gee, Toby Green's a great player and he's such a consistent player too. So I think he's a real issue for the Hawks. I think Finlayson could be a real issue for them as well. I'd, I'd love to see him find a bit more consistency because... Uh, he's super impressive when he's on. He's mobile. He's a beautiful kick. Um, so I'd like to see him produce that a few weeks in a row. Those two quick 
and Hawthorne's certainly in desperate trouble. I think the Giants probably a little bit better midfield and a bit deeper midfield as well. Uh, the Hawks will certainly give themselves every chance here. What about the venue for the Giants? Well, they don't have a great record here, but it's got a lot better in recent times, and they did knock over Collingwood here earlier this season. Uh, just by way of noting, if they do beat Hawthorne here, it'll bring them level with Hawthorne in terms of win-loss record since their inception. It'd be five apiece with one draw. There's not many, still not many clubs that the Giants can boast a winning record about. So that would be a little bit of a feather in the cap. Look, I think their footy's been by and large pretty consistent for uh, most of this season. Now, after that horror start, this is a game they absolutely need to win if they're to retain those finals chances. And I think they're good enough to do it. But having said that, I think Hawthorne's going to push them all the way. I'm going for GWS to win by even less than you are. Eight points for me, the margin. Which brings us to the second of the Sunday games and this one in Perth. Well, this could be arguably match of the round. 3.20pm Eastern time. It's 1.20pm Perth time. Optus Stadium. Sunday afternoon, West Coast pitted against the Western Bulldogs. Having those two sides had some cracking contests and not a little bit of controversy in their games over the years. Uh, some very memorable clashes, including finals, of course, the Bulldogs memorably knocking off the Eagles at Subiaco, admittedly, in 2016 and route to that famous premiership win. Uh, wow, what a game this promises to be. How do Palmer Vets see it? Well, they have West Coast at home, perhaps not surprisingly a favourite, but only just West Coast paying $1.78 head-to-head and you can get $2.05 head-to-head for the Bulldogs. Stats Insider, well, they spoke last week about how much the Doggies have struggled at Geelong. Their record against the Eagles in Perth is also pretty poor. They've lost 16 of the last 20 against West Coast in Perth. And they've lost both their games against the Eagles at Optus Stadium by an average of 57 points. How the Bulldogs handle big opposition forwards is looming as a major source of contention for them. While in the Eagles, they not only square off against one of the league's most efficient attacks, but one generating a mark inside 50 on 43% of their entries. That is the second best number in the AFL. This season, the Bulldogs are nine zip when they've won the marks inside 50 count and one three when they haven't. So that's interesting. We have been uh, putting a few question marks over the Bulldogs defence in recent times. Well, you won't find too many more stern tests of it than the tall West Coast forward setup. Uh, anything happening selection-wise for either of these sides, Finey? Well, for the Bulldogs, surprisingly, they're not expected to make any changes from the side that performed brilliantly down at GMHBA Stadium. Unlucky to lose. And when I say surprisingly, of course, Aaron Norton came off and was subbed. Mitch Wallace came on and that Mitch Wallace may struggle to hold his spot as the medical sub. I don't think he did much when he came on. The options there, possibly Ed Richards to take that spot. But not for the first time in his career, 
Ed Norton's injury is not as serious as they seem. And they, he has had some serious injuries. But most games, he gets a bit of medical attention. And on this occasion, he should be right to play. Well, you asked if there's any changes of note at West Coast. Probably the best raft of ins I've seen at a football side for quite a long time. Have a listen to this, Rowan. In, Suey, Shepard, Kelly and McGovern, all available and all didn't play in their last game. Not a bad foursome to come in. Unfortunately, the pair of Edwards, Luke and Harry, not related, and Foley, likely to miss out. And I'm not sure who the other man to miss out is. We'll wait and see. But all four of those, gee, they really swing the pendulum heavily in favour of the home side. Because as you pointed out, we know that the Dogs can struggle down back against tall opposition. They perform manfully against the Cats. Let's be honest, that is one heck of a forward line. And for the most part, the Geelong defence did pretty well. But here they're tested by even more height, knowing that they can be stretched. I'm sure Oscar Allen will position himself down forward, especially with the return of McGovern, Kennedy, and, of course, Darling. Boy, that makes it hard. With Shuey back in the midfield, he's not only an important inclusion ability-wise, but he's so much the heart and soul, I think, of that team's midfield. Throw in Kelly, who's not the Kelly of Geelong, but certainly still potentially a match winner. The consistency of Gaff. We know that Nat Nui is a tour de force. And against the Bulldogs, I get a sense that that could be well and truly enough. For mine, West Coast to really do a job on the doggies by 31 points. Ooh, that's a healthy margin against a top team. Did you call Aaron Norton Ed Norton before, or was that just me sort of getting wistful about going to the cinema? Well, did- if I did, if I did, then it's a you know what? I may have done so because I think some of his injuries might lend a little bit to theatrics realm. Ah, very good, which is uh, uh, you often say of a player coming in for the opposition as well, the McGovern family. Yeah, that's right. They, <laughs> both, both of them, both of them um, I'm not saying that they can't take the rigours of football. They're both brilliant footballers, but I think they like the attention. They don't, they don't mind coming off and coming back on heroically as a former Bulldog did as well. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? No, but you're impinging on my preview time, so tell me quickly. Brian Lake loved it. Ah, yes, he did. Okay. I knew I'd regret bringing up that uh, digression. All right, uh, look, you've pretty much covered all the territory I wanted to. I was just having a look at the Doggies record at Optus Stadium uh, overall, and it's miserable. 1-1, lost four, and that win against Fremantle Last year, they have, although uh, a little bit of hope here, perhaps, they have beaten West Coast the last couple of times they've played them. Those wins, though, at uh, one uh, at Docklands by seven points. That was earlier this season, round two, in fact, and they beat them at Carrara last year, or Metricon Stadium, should I say, by two points. So a little bit of hope out of that. But, yeah, I, I can't get past that clash of the perhaps undersize and understrength 
Bulldogs backline against the likes of Kennedy, Darling, Allen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, West Coast, they need to obviously win all these home games if they're to do any sort of damage in the finals. Uh, I'm not jumping off the Bulldogs. I still think they're in pretty decent form and I think they'll push them. I don't think it's going to be quite the sort of comfortable romp home you are predicting, but I'm still predicting a West Coast victory. I'm going to go for them by six points. And that leaves us with one game left in round 15. Time to discuss that one. Last game of the weekend. It is at Marvel Stadium, 4.40pm Sunday afternoon. It sees Carlton taking on Adelaide. And uh, hasn't been the case too often recently, but Carlton will start this match favourite with Palmer Bet. The Blues paying $1.60 on the head-to-heads. Adelaide paying $2.35. Stats Insider say that the second worst defence in the league is up against the third worst defence. And while the Blues will start narrow favourites, Adelaide has won four of its last five against Carlton in Victoria. Carlton has lost the disposal count in seven straight games now. However, the bigger issue for the Blues is how easily they seem to throw in the towel. Since 2014, Carlton are 11-98 when they've been trailing at half-time. And if we're sticking the knives in, we might as well mention that the Blues are dead last this year where the tackle differential is concerned. Gee, just on that stat, 1198, probably worth pointing out too, though, that uh, last week's was their heaviest defeat of the season. Prior to that, they hadn't lost a game by any more than, uh, I think, 28 points. So they have been competitive, but seldom threatening. Uh, they got anything they can look forward to in terms of uh, decent players back into the best 22 finding? No, I think we're really uh, sort of revolving door at the moment at Carlton. Plowman and Gibbons return to the side. I guess Gibbons offers them a little bit of life up forward and it'll be interesting to see how he combines with small forward Matthew Owies. We haven't seen them in tandem and I think that might cost Eddie Betts a spot in the team, Rowan. He just, as much as he's loved, doesn't get the ball enough anymore. And I think they will go with Gibbons and Owies. Lockie Plowman is set to return as well. He'll come in for Parks, who got injured last week. And uh, that's about it, I think, in terms of changes for the Blues. As for Adelaide, Luke Brown, a key member of their defence, is right to return after an Achilles. Some soreness there. And... He should replace Josh Worrell. Look, I tell you what, Coach Killer Rowan, Carlton should win this game, and I fear for David Teague if they don't. Not that Adelaide are easy beats this season, but Carlton's faithful simply would not stomach a loss at the MCG to Adelaide. Uh, I guess there is a well, they don't have to because it's at Marvel. Well, sorry, in Melbourne against Adelaide. They simply would not broach that, would they? The fact is that David Teague, I think, is a a man with his days numbered. And at the end of the season, I'm pretty sure he would not withstand a review of what has been another disappointing year for Carlton. But there are those people, we know that they are a club with a membership and a faction there that demand success and haven't had it for a quarter of a century and not scared to turn on a coach when 
the problems are beyond repair in their opinion. And I've got a feeling if Adelaide won this, it'd be Tata, David Teague right then and there. That being said, I think Carlton, with a great spearhead in Harry Mackay and a midfield with Walsh, who was disappointing last week, but has been great this season, and Cripps, whose form is up and down, but certainly that midfield should win the battle against the Crows midfield, as valiant as they've been. I, I, I know the Crows had a great comeback win against St Kilda, but I don't think you can bank on that against the Blues, back to the wall, Carlton for mine, 17 the margin. All right, well, we differ on this one because I am going for Adelaide and a couple of reasons. I think uh, their recent form, well, you heard the stats inside of stats, uh, won four of the last five against the Blues in Victoria. Overall, they've won six of the last seven against Carlton. Uh, I reckon when you're on the road, the venue is pretty important. Adelaide's record at Marvel Stadium is pretty handy in recent times. They've won four of their last five there. That spans about three seasons. And they have played there early this season. They had a pretty good win, comfortable win against North Melbourne. So they don't mind this venue at all. Um, I think they're just playing better footy than Carlton, to be honest. I reckon the last month, uh, look, they started well this season. They had a real trough between about round seven and nine. And I reckon that uh, famous win over Melbourne a month ago, they've been pretty solid ever since then. They had a pretty honourable loss to uh, Richmond. They were very competitive in that game, took Richmond till well into the last quarter to shake them off. They lost to Collingwood narrowly in uh, Adelaide, but that was a game where Collingwood really did turn on something close to its best. And uh, then that great comeback in Cairns against the Saints. Now, fair enough, they played ordinary for three quarters, but they really found some spirit. And I reckon that'll give them a real boost. They will smell blood in the water here. You mentioned David Teague. I'd be really disappointed if he got the flick because they lost here. Uh, I reckon he deserves a little bit more time than people seem prepared to give him. I don't think this list is underperforming. I don't think it's a particularly great list. Uh, and Adelaide, uh, I think their development is a lot more encouraging than the Blues. That's painful for Carlton fans to hear. But uh, I think the Crows are turning things around reasonably quickly. I reckon they're going to win this one. I don't reckon they'll win it by much. In fact, I don't reckon they'll win it by much at all. I'm going for Adelaide to win by just two points in what could be an absolute nail-biting finish. That is round 15 previewed. That leaves us with one segment left in this podcast. That's a segment we've all come to love in a very short space of time. Fantastic footy flashbacks. All right, this is a fun part of the show. Uh, Finally, I I found a, a link uh, last week to a game or a meeting of opponents of that weekend that was Hawthorne-Essendon. I've done it again this week. When I say Brisbane and Geelong, what game immediately springs to mind for you? The famous miracle on grass. That is the one. You've tipped it. What a great uh, occasion that was. Milestone game, of course, for Ash McGrath playing for Brisbane against the Cats. It was round 13, 2013, the last game 
of that football weekend. And it looked like pretty drab stuff for the best part. Brisbane really struggling. The Cats dominant for much of the game. So dominant, in fact, they led by as much as 52 points very late in the third quarter. In fact, with just about three minutes left in the third quarter, the Lions are able to kick a couple of late goals to Joel Patful and Jonathan Brown, but it still looked like a foregone conclusion this game. The Cats leading by 38 points at three-quarter time. Indeed, come 15 and a half minutes left in this game, Geelong was still 40 points in front. Surely it was going to play out to a pretty tame conclusion? Well, no. Let's have a listen to what happened. Let's see what is ahead of him on the highway. Steve Johnson. Wasn't a great oh, kick. Sure, <laughs> got in the road. We haven't got a stat for that turnover caused by an umpire. And it's a goal too. Goal the Zorko. Self-inflicted yeah, or not. So Josh Hunt. That wasn't a great kick, and that is an outstanding mark from Maloney. Kick five for the season so far. As we said, it's a big, powerful launch. And there's another for the Lions. They're back within 27. Plenty of time for Brisbane. Rockcliffe didn't like his chances. Kicks it back to Adcock. He's a big, thumping kick, and that's on display for all to see. The charge continues for the Lions. It was ahead. It was Stringer who's got some toe. Deep kick. Hawkins has got the early read on it. Didn't mark it, but Stevie J will finish it off. Johnson puts it through. Stems the flow for the moment. Oh, no one on Lewenberger. Didn't take full control, but got through all right to Lyle Hanley. That's another. Clearances in the second half, boys. 18 to 8 in favour of Brisbane. This is where the game's turned around. They march forward again. Maloney goes for broke. And got it. Oh, what a kick. Oh, thunder and lightning around the gather. Hanley from outside the 50. And Lyle, not paid. McGrath over the top. Golby, he's, oh, he's curled it through. He's joined the joyride for the Lions. They're within seven now. Down the line, plenty of cats patrolling back there. But Staker takes the mark. Rich, the target, and Rich has got to get it. Daniel Rich turns, sets it to the top of the square. It goes on, it goes on, and scores a level. The pandemonium returns. 45 seconds, Geelong lead by one. They're going to try and maintain possession. Every mark, every handball, every kick, so vital. Selwood down the line. Dawson Simpson, the big man, in for his first, and he plays on to Corey. They'll be deep again. A mark here will win the game. Podsy Adley couldn't quite, it might win the mark for, win the game yet for Brisbane. Got himself into a difficult position. Yo, and now Black, who's been so instrumental, about to be hunted down, didn't panic. It was a great kick. Pat full in the centre. We're down to nine seconds. And it's a mark. He's got to get up, Adcock. Had to give to anybody. It's Zorko. Got a mark and he's got it. The milestone man. Siren sounds. And it's going to come down to Ash McGrath. This is better than a fairy tale. You can't dream these scenarios.
Wesley McGrath in his 200th game. A behind will create a draw. A goal will give the Lions an incredible victory. S. McGrath comes in. It's on its way. It's there. The miracle of grass. The Brisbane Lions have kicked eight goals in the last quarter. And at the 11th hour, they have won. Well, you've got to give Hutto credit. I mean, that is another piece of memorable Anthony Hudson there. Miracle on grass and great kick by Ash McGrath. Oh, interesting looking at that Brisbane team. A couple of uh, players that are in the news now for other clubs. Elliot Yo, an important cog for the West Coast Eagles. And Sam Doherty playing one of his first handful of games for the Brisbane Lions, of course, under pressure at Carlton. So it was a while ago, but there are still players going around, not only for the Lions, but for other teams as well. And a bit of a role reversal too. Uh, the Cats have won, I think the Cats have won more games after the Bell over the last 30 years than any other club. But that one of the rare occasions when they lost one after the Bell. So uh, I don't know if um, in a cruel way that makes Bulldogs fans feel <laughs> like a bit of, give them a bit of revenge for last Friday night. But it was an incredible comeback, uh, an incredible goal from Ash McGrath and uh, the perfect call too by our former colleague, Anthony Hudson. All right, what have you got in store for us, Finey? Well, I've suffered enough, I reckon. It's been just a tough year for the Saints. So I went back into the archives and pulled out almost my favourite victory ever for St Kilda. And that includes finals, Rowan. It's a home and away game back in 1989, of course, having suffered the horrendous 80s. By the end of the 80s, St Kilda were coming out of the horror thanks to one man and pretty much one man alone, that man, Tony Lockett. And if you talk about a horrific period, then most pain on St Kilda had been inflicted by Carlton. So round two, 1989, St Kilda, after a good first round victory against Brisbane, Bears, were facing... Carlton at Moorabbin, big crowd, incredible game of football, and the hero was Tony Lockett. Let's have a listen to the last couple of minutes and one for the ages for Saints fans. What a test of the nerves it is. Scores were level at three-quarter time. If anything, Carlton kicking into a slight breeze in the last term. They lead now by two points. Glasscock using up time. Up to half forward. Kernahan the only chance for Carlton. Lamb sees the ball go out. St Kilda need the ball in play as the clock ticks down to 1 minute 18. Boundary throw in. Lamb to Sheldon. Off the side of the boot, Ken Sheldon. Might be all right for Daniels. He charges onto it, gives a great hand pass to Winmar. St Kilda a chance, Winmar looks for Lockett. Yes! Oh, oh. Well, what a fairy tale this would be. Tony Lockett can win the game and bring up his 10th goal. How did he mark that? Well, I thought Winmar had done the wrong thing. I thought so he should I. have kept going and had a ping at the goals. 43 seconds left on the clock. 
possibly the last chance for St Kilda. They trail by two points. Tony Lockett. He's showing a lot of, lot of courage, a lot of character today. And that'll probably do it for them too. With only 22 seconds left on the clock, Lockett kicks his 10th goal in a magnificent solo performance at full forward against Stephen Silvani. What a finish. Back in the middle. The Saints lead. Can the Blues muster one final thrust? Gleeson goes to ground. Pushing the back the call. We're down to 10 seconds. Gleeson. It needs a mark. The Saints have got men all around the ball. It falls forward. Naley can't control it. Three seconds. Ball up. She's all over. The Saints are going to win it. Some quarter of one. They've won by four points. Jubilation at Moorabbin. What a game of football. I don't think, crew you could see better. Tony Lockett being absolutely swamped here. He has kicked 10 goals, 6, 10, 7. And the Saints have got up by four points. Uh, great stuff. Uh, I do remember, I, I was at Windy Hill that day for Essendon, Melbourne, and I uh, remember listening to the end of that on the radio and, and really looking forward to watching the replay. Fantastic atmosphere, some of those games down at Moorabbin. Yeah, you know, funnily enough, finally, the other thing I remember about this, because I remember one of my colleagues telling me, uh, Robert Walls, of course, coaching the Blues, he would be tipped out mid-season. And, and uh, maybe this game was one of the things which sent the Blues uh, season pear shaped. They went from beaten preliminary finalists to having a bit of a uh, nightmare in 1989. And uh, they lost this game. Wolsey wasn't too happy after the siren. And uh, Michael Horan, my former colleague on the Sun News Pictorial, was doing this game for the Sun. And uh, Wolsey, he'd obviously written something that had upset Wolsey. And Wolsey absolutely went him. Anytime Mick asked him a question, Wolsey's response was, I'm not talking to you, you're a parasite. Kept calling him a parasite. Oh, yeah. They're pretty wild woolly, the coaches' press conferences in those days. So remember that one. But uh, Plugger, fantastic duel and uh, a a good learning experience for young Silvani, who stayed on him the entire game, did he not? He did. I mean, Plugger kicked 10-7 out of 13-18. Only Winmar, new Collingwood coach Robert Harvey and Brett Bowie with singles added to the goal-kicking total. But interestingly, it could have been a lot more, Rowan. That afternoon, Tony Lockett had one free kick four, eight against, and Silvani six free kicks four. And I certainly remember three or four of those were marks taken off Tony Lockett, probably quite rightfully, for infringing on the lighter Silvani. You know, I remember that game. It was absolute euphoria when the siren went. I, but I, I remember the blokes that I hugged literally standing with them week in, week out and suffering. It was a huge win and we were embracing. It was a good time of life for me as well because 1989, I only saw the first few games of the season 
And then I was off overseas for over a year for a great, you know, that backpacking experience. And oh, those were the days, Rowan. Unencumbered, uh, watching the Saints having great victories and heading off to see the world. Happy were, times. They were indeed. And uh, hopefully... Uh, Saints fans been through a bit of suffering this year as well. So hopefully that's given you a bit of a pick-me-up. Certainly a very famous game and what an absolute champion of the game. Well, both those players, Tony Rocket and Stephen Silvani as well. How's that for a great individual duel? That's it for this week. Uh, we need to thank our wonderful and generous sponsors, of course, this podcast, as always, brought to you. Proudly by Palmerbet, play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, what about our other cohorts, Finey? Well, there's no betting, or no Palmers, actually, at Andrew's Hamburgers. There's beautiful hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for the best burgers in town. And Nick Spartels and West Point property, no risk or gamble involved when you get them on the job for a home renovation and you build anything to do in the world of home construction, contact West Point Properties. And for the best stats in the business, go to statsinsider.com.au. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis to more than 15 sports across the world, including, of course, the European Championships going on as we speak. Some great writing on there as well. So check it out. It's all free to use, statsinsider.com.au. And give them a follow as well on Twitter at Stats Insider. That's it for this week. Uh, thanks to your company. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to support us, you can jump on the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or become an official Footyology patron through Patreon and links to that all over the footyology.com.au website, which has some cracking good reads on it. Check it out. There's some great stuff there. Not just about footy, not just about sport. We do music, movies, TV, entertainment, social commentary, bit of politics as well. In fact, Andrew Gardner's written a good political piece today you might want to have a look at and uh, form a view on. It is a pretty well-written piece, so I can guarantee you that. We'll return, of course, with Footyology Final Siren, our live stream on Twitter and Facebook following the Friday night game between Richmond and St Kilda. We should be on air at 10.45. And the next podcast, of course, Sunday evening, when we wrap up the entire round 15, we've just spent a good deal of time previewing. Um, thanks to your company. Good luck to your mob this weekend. And we'll catch you later. <laughs>